Hey, we're in our uh, Binge the Bible series today, uh, season two, episode two, and the idea of it is to go through a book of the Bible basically a week, and we're going through the Old Testament, and I know some of you are like, oh, that sounds like quite a marathon, and you're correct, it is, which is why we binge for a while, and then we take some time off, and then we'll binge a few weeks, uh, uh, books, and then we'll take some time off. And, and in this series, I'm just going to be straight from the beginning, in this series each week, it runs a little bit longer, the message is a little bit longer and more of a marathon than normal, and I, you guys, I have heard overwhelming response from this series that it is helping you understand the Bible better, understand God better, and that, I, I, I'll run five minutes over normal if that's what it takes, right? And so just thank you for staying with me off the beginning. We're going to be in the book of Joshua today, uh, the book of Joshua. You can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to get there, or go ahead and start taking notes with your notepads and your pencils, maybe do it digitally, however you do it. And while you're doing that, I need to celebrate something. Last Sunday, as we celebrated our Florence campus, moved into their first campus, our, our first facility uh, where we renovated it. It looks amazing. It's incredible. They only had nine empty chairs in the auditorium last Sunday. Come on, somebody. And as we talked about last week, numbers matter because every number is a soul and every soul is going somewhere. And we want to reach as many people as absolutely possible, praise God, which is why we do what we do. But I want to go ahead and tell you, in, in, at Ready 8, just a little behind the scenes, there's always a few weeks of the year that we already know are going to be highly attended days of the year at Radiate. It just happens. It's just on the calendar. We put resources into that. We allow, like we push for that. The danger is, is I don't want you to only invite people to those days. We need to bring people all the time. Amen. Uh, because God's always moving. But I want you to know that last Sunday, between both campuses, this is crazy, um, one of our highest attended days of the year is always Mother's Day. Um, moms like bringing their families, you know, and coming together. Uh, if mom wants it, we all do it, because mama, a happy mom, and we're all good, right? And, um, and if you're anything like me, I'm a mama's boy, and so if mom wants it, I will do it. And um, Anyway, and so we were only 20 people away last week from our Mother's Day attendance from this past year. Y'all, that is massive. And the reason that is massive is because that was a non-holiday. Everybody was right back to school last week. And you guys are still bringing people to be a part of what God's doing here. And so I want to say thank you to you. So why don't you give yourselves a hand real quick. Thank you. Because every invite is an opportunity for a life to be changed for eternity. And so I, I thank you for doing that. Let's continue inviting people and bringing people in. So last week, um, in season two, episode one, we finished the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called, anybody know? The Pentateuch, or the Torah, right? It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We finished those same author all the way across. His name is? Moses, oh, let's go. Y'all making me such a proud pastor right now. I am loving this. It was written, every one of those books was written to who? Next generation of? Israelites. Come on, man. Y'all are getting this. And, um, and the reason is, is because if you don't learn from your history, you're what? You're bound to repeat it. You're bound to repeat it. And honestly, um, that's part of why we're kind of in the spiritual mess we're in in America today. Is because we've pledged allegiance to God but haven't learned more about him. And so we haven't learned from the history. And so that's the point of Binge the Bible. Now, I had somebody ask me kind of what, like, what are you trying to do with this? And I said, I'm not trying to give a deep dive every Sunday into everything of the Bible. I'm trying to give you enough flavor that when you go home, you want to do a deep dive. And you want to dive deep. And you want to get in there and find out what God has to say. Because the Bible was not written to you, but it was written what? For you. So we all have something that we can learn from that. So last week, we ended with Numbers of Deuteronomy. Moses dies on Mount Nebo, looking over the promised land, Jericho, right? He'll never go into it because of the curse, 40 years in wander, wandering in the wilderness. And before he dies, he places somebody in charge to be a successor. Who is that? Joshua. That's what we're picking up today, is we're going to pick up in the book of Joshua to see what in the world does this walking into the promise look like as opposed to walking in the punishment, right, of 40 years of wandering. Now, before we go into every book of the Bible, we talk about who wrote it, why did they write it, who did they write it to, and when did they write it. But before we actually talk about who wrote it, we always look at this scripture. 
Because we have to remember, men wrote it, but they didn't come up with it. Watch this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All Scripture, even the parts of Scripture you don't agree with, even the parts that are hard to read, it is always profitable, which means it is good for you. There's a gain on it for teaching us something, for reproof or rebuke, for correcting us, and for training us in righteousness, which is a right relationship with God. What does that look like? What does that feel like? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Every what work? Good work. That's right. And so this is important to know because we're going to talk about the man that wrote the Bible. But he did not inspire it and come up with it. God did. And we have to always know that as we build our faith on God. So Joshua, who wrote it? Shockingly, Joshua wrote it. Right? He wrote a book named after himself. I'm going to write a book one day before I die, and I'm just going to name it Brandon. It's going to be named Brandon, and then uh, you won't want to teach out of it, though. It won't be that good. Um, but written by Joshua, all right, it was written to the Israelites that are now entering the promised land. Okay, so previously it was, the, it was the next generation, they're in the wilderness, Moses is trying to help them, now Joshua's going, no, now we're talking about the next generation as they enter the promised land, why? Because he wants to teach them and us, because it's not to us but for us, what it looks like to walk out the promises of God. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that take? It was written around 1406 to 1350 BC, so at the beginning of the series, I showed you this timeline. I said there's four main events, right, or characters in the Old Testament that we're going to talk about. We've gone through Abraham. We've gone through Moses. We're right about here now. Moses is dead. Moses is done. He's over, okay? He's on Mount Nebo. Uh, his corpse, that sounds terrible, but it just is. On Mount Nebo, we're right about here, and we're starting to make our way towards David, okay? And then we're going to make our way towards the exile Babylonian exile at the end of the Old Testament, and we'll kind of go from there. There's a lot of interesting facts as you dive into this about Joshua, right? A lot of things that are kind of interesting to know. But one of the ones, the one I really want to hit on today that's really interesting to me is that before he ever led, he served. Throughout Joshua, you'll see, and throughout Exodus, you'll see, Leviticus and Numbers, you'll see where Joshua served Moses, and so Moses wasn't trying this whole thing, to, or, or Joshua, wasn't trying this whole thing where it was like, I deserve to be the leader. I'm called to be a leader. I'm gifted to be a leader. I know what to do. I blah, All this stuff, right? He goes, I'm going to serve, and when God is ready for me to lead, I will lead. Watch this. You need to hear this for work. You need to hear this for church. You need to hear this for life. If you are not able to lead, you do not deserve, not able to serve, you do not deserve to lead. If you can't pick up a broom, if you can't pick up a toilet brush, I can't tell you how many toilets I have cleaned. When we were in the elementary school, I would clean the toilets in the little boy's bathroom before people got there. I know y'all like, that's disgusting. Agreed. But if you can't clean a toilet and mop, mop a floor, you don't deserve to lead a team. And we live in a generation today where because what I know, I deserve. No, you don't. Until you can learn to do life with people, you don't deserve to lead. And that's for all of us. I spent over 10 years of my life as a, as a youth pastor and an executive pastor before I ever led a church. And I learned way more from leading than I ever did having my nose in a book. And when you combine the two, you accelerate your learning process. Are you with me? I think there's something important here to where Joshua is now leading an entire nation because he served a man that he believed in and he served him with reckless abandon. I just want to encourage some of you are waiting on God to promote you. Learn how to serve and honor and God will then begin to promote because he will trust. I could go into that, but it's not a leadership night, so we're not doing that. Joshua is broken up into five sections. We're going to run through these. You're going to want to take notes. Five sections. And section one is get ready. Somebody say, get ready. Come on, get ready. I'm not, I can't do it like uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes does, a preaching machine. I ain't got that voice. But he preaches a message where he'll go, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And he just says it over and over. So I'm going to say that over and over. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I want you to get ready. And this is what God is telling Joshua. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I don't know if he talks like that or not. But in the first two chapters, that's the whole point of everything that God is telling Joshua. Now Moses is dead. 
Joshua's taking over. We're in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 of the book of Joshua, and it says this. Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Why did he speak to Joshua? He had never spoken to Joshua before. Why did it change? He's now in charge. Watch this. Every time God wants to do something great, he's going to do it through someone, which means that someone has to listen. They got to be in tune with God. There's too many people that want to go ahead of God and not listen to God. If you're going to be a leader, you have to listen to God. The Lord spoke to Moses, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. If you're in your Bible, if you have your hard copy, and I I hope you do, I love this, I, I, I would encourage you to underline or highlight that section of the scripture. Arise, cross the Jordan, right? You and all these people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Now watch this. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. We as believers and especially charismatic Pentecostals, if you grew up in that realm, love verse 3. Oh, everywhere that I put my foot, God's going to give me the ground. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right. And the more growl and the uh you put in there, the holier it is, like all that stuff, right? And I'm just having a little fun with it. But watch this, watch this. We love that. We hate this. Watch. He doesn't say, everywhere you put your foot, whether you get up or not, is yours. He says, get up. Arise. Some of us have been sitting in the same despair that we came to God in, and we want to know why he's not giving us new ground. It's because the same pain that you experienced before God is the same pain you won't walk out of. And he's going, I have saved your soul, but now, not only have I saved your soul, I have a blessing for you, but before you get the blessing of what I have for you, you got to get up, and you got to actually walk. If you want, can I just tell you in a spiritual way, if you want new ground in your life, you want to break a cycle, get up and walk into new places. And I'm not just talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. If you want new ground, worship different. You want new ground? Pray different. You want, if you want something different, what? Do something different. If you want something new in your life, I'm just telling you, I don't know what it is. If it lines up with God, if you want something new, you got to get up and move. You can't sit there and go, well, this is the type of worship I like, and this is all I like. No, worship to the God, not the band. Well, I, you know, I, I spend time in prayer before I go to sleep at night. You want new ground? Pray different. You want new ground? Believe God different. Read the Bible. You you get what I'm saying? Some of us have not gotten new ground and we're mad at God when God's going, you haven't moved in 17 years. And if you'd move, then something would take place and you would begin to get the ground that I have already given you. Some of us have promises in our life from God that have never been realized. And it's simply because we're just standing here and we go, well, I got this, my little four and no more. No, that's why I love church growth. Because I ain't about my foreign no more. See, there's more people to get. There's more people to reach with the goodness of God. And what he's done in my life, he can do in your life. And he can do in their life. He can do in the drug addict's life. And he can do in the, he can do in the porn addict's life. And he can do in the alcoholic's life. And he can do in the, in the financially bankrupt life. He can do in the CEO's life as much as he can the homeless person's life. Why? We got to get out and move. We got we to gotta take ground. Because he is God. I, I like it. I, I really like it. Kind of broken down like this. Faith is walking on God's word even if we don't understand his work. Can I tell you, this is a hard statement. Because it's easy to have faith when I already know how and when and where and what from God. But when all I know is this will happen if I follow, but I don't know when it's going to happen, and I don't know how it's going to happen, and I don't know what it's going to take from me to happen, that's where faith comes in. And if you want a real faith, a courageous faith that changes lives, you have to trust his word when he speaks it, even if you don't understand his work. Because it may take you the long route. Remember, go back to the exodus from, from, from Egypt down and they go down to Mount Sinai instead of going straight across. Why? Because he was protecting them from other enemies that would have sent them right back to their former life. 
We talked about that last week. The reality is you have to walk on his word even when you don't understand his word. A great friend of mine, a mentor of mine, Pastor Jeff Capusta, he says it like this. He says, if you walk it out, God will work it out. If you walk it out, God will work it out. And I love that because it's, my, it's on me. It's, it's on me to do something. But it's, it's not my, hear me, it is not my responsibility to bring about the promise. It's my responsibility to be obedient to it. It's God's responsibility to make it happen. Some of us get caught up on trying to make it happen when God's going, I just need you to be obedient for a minute. I just need you to walk it out for a minute. But let's keep going because I could camp out on that all day long. Verses 6 through 9, he, he tells him, he's saying, all right, you got to get up. you got to cross the Jordan. you got to rise. Everywhere you put your foot is yours. And then he goes on and he says this, be strong and courageous for you shall give these people possessions of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. In other words, I don't need another emotion from you, Joshua. I don't need another feeling. Just be strong uh-huh, and be courageous. Okay? Just be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall meditate it on Sundays when the pastor is preaching only. You shall meditate on it whenever you get the push notification on your phone from the Bible app. No, you meditate on the Word of God day in and day out. What does that mean, that I never go to work? No, it means that you take the Word with you wherever you go. Think on it. Always asking God, what do I take from this? That's the point of this scripture, or or this series. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. He says, only then, when you meditate on it, will success and prosperity come your way. Watch this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Third time, in four verses. Do not tremble or be dismayed. In other words, don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If we as people, why did God add this in here? Because as humans, we're naturally afraid of things we don't understand. But when we grab this one statement, it changes the way we walk things out. I need you to know something. I understand that work may be like a living hell for you right now. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I understand that your marriage may be falling apart. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I understand your kids may have walked away from the very thing that you taught them spiritually or practically. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I understand that you're walking into a promise and you don't know what it looks like. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I believe when we grasp this, this is the byproduct that we can't get away from. We have to be strong and we have to be courageous because I'm not doing it by myself. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Somebody needs to understand that God is with you wherever you go today. And tomorrow and next week when I've given him my life, he's with me wherever I go. Now, God is getting Joshua ready to move. He's going, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. But now it's Joshua's turn to get the people ready. This is what it says. Verse 11, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. So he didn't go suggest to him like, hey, if you would like, like, can you um, get ready and like prepare things and get ready? Because like in about three days, you know, kind of depends on how you feel. No, he goes, command them. Look at them and go, you're either coming with me or you're not. But get yourself ready because in three days, you are going to cross the Jordan. You're going to go into the promised land and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Like if you want God's promise, you got three days to get your stuff together. Pack your Honda Pilot, get your little horse and buggy together, and let's go, because in three days, the train moves. And it's time to move, and it's time to go. And here's what they said to him. It actually makes me laugh, and I'll tell you why in a minute. They answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us, we will do. 
Wherever you send us, we will go. Praise God, that is every leader's dream that doesn't like abuse leadership, but every leader needs people that just go, come on, I'm with you. We're going to capture ground. We're going to go to the promise. We're going to take, take ground for the kingdom. Come on, where you're telling us we'll go, we'll go, and, 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 and we're with you. Come on, let's go. And I love this part. This is funny. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Listen, if I was Joshua, I would be like, can you not obey me like you did Moses? Because I read Exodus and I was there. And like Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I saw how y'all like literally never listened to him. Like the guy's meeting with God on top of Mount Sinai and he comes down and you're worshiping a golden calf. So can you like just go one step up? Can you just obey one step above how you did Moses? That'd be... Real good in my life, thank you. But I do love that they say, may the Lord your God be with you, even as he was with Moses. How many of you know that sometimes you don't understand what you got till it's gone? This is a statement of them going, I didn't understand how great and godly Moses was until he was gone. I miss Pastor Moses. I love Pastor Joshua. I miss Pastor Moses, right? And, 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 and they're, what they're doing is they're saying, let's go, Joshua. We got you. We're with you. Here's a takeaway for you. Courageous faith is powerful. I, I, I get frustrated when I see weak faith. And here's what I mean by weak faith. Well, I guess like, yeah, I guess God can do that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I know God can, but I know God can I, I, maybe. I, no. Courageous faith believes God's word even when I don't understand his work. Courageous faith is me going, I'm with you. Let's go. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I'm with you. Courageous faith is going, I know where we are as a church right now, and we're growing crazy, and God's doing amazing things, and there's great salvations and baptisms that are taking I understand all that, but I know there's more to do, so I'm with you. Let's go. Courageous faith is, God, I don't know what's next, but I, or I don't know how to get there, but I know what's upcoming, and so teach me. I'll lead. Courageous faith makes a difference in people's lives. Courageous faith stands when everybody else sits. Courageous faith walks with God when everybody else is running away from him. Courageous faith is powerful. Then we go to section two. Section two, now one of the things about Joshua is he was the former leader of the army of the Amalekites. So he has a military background. Before you go in to take land, do you know what they do? They get intel. They spy it out. They send their drones over. They didn't have those back then, but whatever. You know, like they're going to get their, their intel. So here's what Moses, Joshua's doing. He's going, listen, God's given us the land, but I want to know how many troops I need to have available so that when we get there, we won't come up against resistance. And here's what Joshua knew, and here's what's going on. The truth is, you may pay, pray for God's promises, but you better get ready for, for a fight. Promises don't come without a fight. A fight on your insecurity, a fight on your mental state, a fight on your emotion, a fight on your family. Whatever it is, you better get ready for spirit. You better know how to spiritually fight. You better know how to spiritually pray. And some of you are like, well, I don't want God's promises then. Well, that is your prerogative to say, but I want everything God has for me because I know the God that he is, and I want everything he has for me, and I'll fight and do whatever I got to do to get there. I just need some spies sometimes. I need, I need to go to somebody that has been there before me and go, what do I need to prepare for? You know what I regularly ask my mentors that I talk to all the time? I'll ask them this. Hey, what do I need to pay attention to that I'm probably not paying attention to right now as we approach this, this, uh, this, this wall of gro church growth in our life? What do I need to pay attention to in my family um, as I get busier? What do I need to pay attention to? I ask people that are ahead of me on that. Why? It's, they're spies. They're spies. They're undercover spies. And they're telling me what to watch. It's the same thing. So he sends the spies in, sends two spies in to check out the land, to prepare for battle. Um, and he ends up, these two spies are there. They're checking it all out. The king finds out. The king wants them dead. And they end up at a prostitute's house. Now, don't get freaked out. Nothing shady was happening, okay? They just end up there because she goes, come here. I will protect you uh, from the king that's going to kill you, right? So they're staying there. All this stuff is happening. Now, why would a prostitute bring in two spies from the Israelite army and look at them and go, I'm going to protect you from the king that wants to kill you. Well, I'm glad you asked because here's the answer. Now, before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
I know that the Lord has given you the land. Do you remember when the original spies went in, what did they say? I don't know if God's given us this thing. It's going to be quite a fight. She had more, she had more um, promise and more foresight and more faith than most of them did. And she wasn't even an Israelite. She said, I know the Lord's given, you, uh, given this land and that the terror of you or the thought of you has fallen on our people and the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. In other words, they're terrified. They're terrified of you and the king wants you dead. So I'm going to protect you because I know the Lord has given you the land. If you read on in chapter 2, you see where they, in verses 12 and 13, they go, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll spare your life. When we come in... Hang a scarlet rope from Rapunzel, Rapunzel. Um, hang a scarlet rope down, the, down the, um, the window. We'll spare your life when we come in. Now, here's an interesting thought of Rahab, a prostitute. If you go to the New Testament and you start looking in the family tree of Jesus, there's a woman listed there, which is a miracle because women were never listed in family trees because women had no value in that day and in that culture. Don't get mad at me. That's just culture. She was listed. That's number one, miracle. Number two, she was a prostitute and her name was Rahab. The woman that saved these people, saved these spies and helped bring about the promised land also ended up in the family tree of Jesus. Here's what that's symbolic of and some of you need to hear this today is that Jesus makes room for all of us in the family of God. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. I'm just telling you that he makes room for all of us in the family of God. And I know I'm grateful for that because I need it. And I know that you're grateful for that because God's going, hey, I got you. I understand what your past was. I understand what your profession was. I understand what you were all about. But there's room for you in the family of God. If a Rahab the harlot can make it, you can make it. And now the spies come out. They go back to Joshua and they report back to Joshua what he said. The two men returned, or what they saw. The two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. Watch this, verse 24. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Do you remember what they said the first time? Maybe the Lord has given it into our hands, but there's the Amalekites, and there's this, and there's the Jebusites, and there's all these people that are coming against us. And then they go, moreover. In other words, here's even more reason to be skeptical of it. But, but these guys are going, moreover, here's more reason to believe that God gave it to us. All the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. In other words, they're, they're gone. We don't have the battle that we should have. There's faith taking place in this army. Now, here's where they're at. They're at this place called Shittim. It's right up here. It's, it's right here. And they're hanging out right there. And they're about to start crossing over because they've just got ready, got ready, got ready, got ready, got ready, right? The spies have come back. And here's, here's what is said in Joshua 3.1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. I just showed you where that was, right on the side, other side of the promised land of the Jordan River. Now, here's the issue, y'all. We're running into something. The river's flooding. So it's not just a river with a current. It is a raging river with flood status. So they get there. Can you imagine? Some of you can. God's given you a promise, given you specific direction, and now all of a sudden you get there and you can't cross over. Because if you do, it'll kill you. You ever been there? You prayed for something. You do exactly what God asked you to do. And then you're looking at it going, I don't, like, I don't even, how, now what do I do, God? I, I don't understand. Watch this. I, I love this story. It's so good. They get there. And when those who carried the Ark of the uh, ark or the Ark of the Covenant came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks, all the days of the harvest. Watch this. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and the, those which were flowing down toward the Sea of uh, Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite of Jericho. 
And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, in the middle of the, the flood stage, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Doesn't that sound like a previous miracle that they experienced? They come to the Red Sea. They're brought out of slavery. The Egyptians are chasing them. They get to the Red Sea and they're like, what in the world? I don't even understand, God, I can't cross this. And all of a sudden, a dry highway opens up right down the middle, and they get across to where they need to go. Here's something you need to understand. If he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. If he did it for that church, he can do it for this church. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. Some of us forget that he's the same God that's done it once. And he's the same God that'll do it twice. And he's the same God that'll do it thrice. And he's the same God that'll do it four, five, six times, whatever it takes. Why? Because he's God and God alone. And he is the one that makes the plans for our lives when we follow, when we follow him. And so here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. We're, we're, we're hanging out up here. And then all of a sudden what happens? They cross over. They're just above, right here at Gilgal. They're just above Jericho. And they're hanging out at Gilgal. And they're doing their thing. And they cross over. They've seen a miracle. And then Joshua chapter 5 happens. And it is the weirdest thing in the Bible. Not really, but one of they cross over and he goes, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Y'all are like, really? We're going there today? Like, this is, this is what we're doing? Here's why this is important. They just experienced a great breakthrough. God provided. He dried up the land. They crossed the Jordan. They walk over. And now all the kings are hearing about what's happening. They're scared to death. They're getting ready to fight Israel. All this stuff. Watch this. And now God goes, hey, Joshua, you're about to cross into the promised land. You just experienced a great breakthrough. And now I want to lay up 600,000 plus men, and I need two weeks of recovery. And so they all know that you're going to be sitting out there as sitting ducks laying around, uh, moaning and groaning and crying, right, about what's happened, and you're going to be hurting. And now you're going to be sitting ducks for every nation that knows that you're there. How much sense does that make? None. But faith is standing on God's word even when I don't understand his work. And so here's what it says. Why would, God, why would God even say, let's do this? Well, here's why. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. I love it whenever the Bible goes, okay, here's why, because I know you're going to have this question. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. Who were males? All the men of war died in the wilderness. Okay? So the previous generation... Along the way, after they came out of Egypt, verse 5, for all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness, which is the new generation of Israelites, along the way, as they came out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. Why does that matter? Glad you asked. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Here's what he's literally saying. There's a generation that were circumcised or, or the, their past was cut away from them. Now there's a generation that has been marred and has been destined by their past of Egypt. And you have just experienced a breakthrough. And Joshua, I want you to do something symbolic of their past no longer defines them. I want you to do something that now the past that they, somebody needs to hear it, the past that they came from doesn't define the promise that they're going to. In other words, as the New Testament says it, old things pass away and all things become new. This is that. You can't understand the New Testament until you fully understand the Old Testament. This is that scripture. He's going, hey. There's a whole generation of people that were defined by their past. I need them to be defined by the promise that they're going into. Here's the takeaway. God is always enough. God is always enough. God protected them in that healing phase. Maybe you're going through a healing phase in your life. To where there's some things that's been cut away from you and you need healing. And it's sensitive and it's tough and it's difficult. I need you to hear me. 
God's enough. Maybe you're going into a phase where God's cutting away some things in your life. God is enough. Wherever you are, God is enough. God is enough in your marriage. God is enough with your kids. God is enough at work. God is enough in your finances. God is enough at your church. God is enough everywhere that you go because God is always enough. And he is all that we need. Section three rolls around. And now, all of a sudden, they've gotten ready, right? The spies come out. They're ready to go in. And Jericho becomes the first fruits. How many of you know that tithing is not something that started when the church was born? Tithing started at the beginning of time in Genesis. I could go through all that, but I'm not. Jericho becomes the first fruits of Israel. Jericho's all they were waiting for. In fact, in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 5, it says Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. We know that there were walls around Jericho, but did you know that they were so thick, they literally had chariot races side by side on the tops? They'd line up chariots, with horse-drawn chariots, with people standing on the side cheering them on, and they would race on top of the wall. That's how thick they were. They had houses built into the wall. Rahab lived in the wall. The reason there was a scarlet rope that had to be dropped down is because the window was facing out of the wall. And so as they were approaching Jericho, they'd know which house to leave standing. That's how big it was. And it says it's because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then, out on, the, then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. I love this. Let me keep going. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, uh, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, Woo! And... That scared y'all. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. If you want a cool little exercise, go home, pull up Joshua chapter 6, and draw out on, on a piece of paper how he had them lined up. Where were the ram's horns people? Where were the priests? Where was the Ark of the Covenant? Where were the people that were looking out? It's interesting that the, the instruments of worship were at the beginning and the end of the, of the line. And watch this. He said, shout. And then the wall will fall. Some of us have got to learn to shout in faith before we ever see the miracle. We got to learn to shout. We got to learn to go, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. God, I don't know how the wall is going to fall in my finances, but I know they will. God, I don't know how you're going to save my marriage, but I know that you can. God, I don't know what you're going to do with my kids, but I know what's going to happen. We got to learn that faith is walking on God's word even when we don't understand his work. It's shouting before the walls ever fall. All this stuff is taking place. And so they go in, they conquer the land. In verses 18 and 19 of Joshua chapter 6, he says this, but as for you, you only keep for yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. In other words, this victory ain't for you. Everything that you're about to encounter isn't for you. It's all God's. Why was Jericho told? Why was it told that Jericho, everything in it went to God first? Because it was the first conquering that the nation had. It was the first of many cities that they would conquer. And God goes, I get first. I get the first of your life. I get the first of your marriage. I get the first of your finance. I get first. And he's going, I need you to listen to this because he's testing their faith. It's the same thing with tithing. Malachi 3 mimics this. It just puts it into your produce. It just puts it into what you have. It puts it into your increase and puts it into that. So they go in. They defeat Jericho. The Rahab's house is saved, all this stuff. And life is great until chapter 7, verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. We just read about that. They're supposed to keep them. For Achan, Achan, however you say it, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, which means praise, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Uh Uh-oh. 
We just walked into the promise. And now immediately when we walk into the promised land, we start doing things our own way again. And Joshua has no idea what's going on. So they're in Jericho. They're getting ready to battle this town, this city called Ai. It should have been an easy, easy, like, it should have been an NCAA Power 5 team playing an FBS school that has 10 players. It should have been easy. And so Joshua goes, we're only sending 3,000 of our 600,000 warriors out there to go take care of Ai. And this is what happens. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. They were terrified. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them, down on the des- or, yeah, struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They lost the battle. Why? They were cursed. Why were they cursed? It wasn't theirs. It was God's. If you want everything God has for you, you can't keep what's God's. You can't keep what's God's. Some of us, let's take finances out of it for a minute, because I feel everybody get tight every time we talk about that. Let's talk about the gift that God's put in you and the call God's put in your life. And I'd rather hold on to it and sit in a cushioned chair than use it. And God's going, don't keep it. It wasn't given to you to keep. I understand you got hurt in that last church. I understand you're uncertain. I understand all that, but I gave it to you to give, not keep. So I need you to give it. Don't keep what's God's and expect God's blessings. It doesn't work that way. Just the same thing as if I give you something and you keep it, don't expect my blessing. It's the same thing in your life. It's the same thing in my life. God wants what's his. Here's your takeaway. Obedience matters. Obedience matters. It's not my job to complete what God has for me. It's not my job to complete God's promises. It's my job to obey his commands. Which is why we need to know the Bible. Why we need a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit. Obedience matters. So now we're going to shift over into chapters 13 through 22 where it's, it's this historic place where land is divided and you got 12 sons of Jacob that show up and they become the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, right? And so in this, you you literally have a nation that went from being slaves to being homeless for 40 years to now they're divided so heavily into 12 different tribes. Now, here's what that land looks like when it's divided up right here. It's the same map we were looking at, but color-coded to where they are. Here's why I love this. I love this so much. This, I have been stuck on this for weeks. This didn't start in Joshua. This started in Genesis in an empty living room with a couple named Abraham and Sarah that were bawling and crying out to God because they wanted a kid and couldn't have one. And God goes, I'll give you a son. And not only will I give you a son, your descendants will be as innumerable as the sand on the sea, on the shore, and the stars in the sky. And they have a kid, and then they have a kid, and it just goes down, and it's generation after generation. And what takes place, <laughs> what takes place is Jacob gives birth to twi- or has 12 kids, and now Abraham and Sarah's descendants are spreading out all over the land. And there's millions of them. And here's the beauty. Watch this. This is the middle of it. This isn't the end of it. Here's what I'm here to tell you today. The promise you feel like you have from God may take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua to accomplish. But it doesn't doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing because the truth is, is that God always has a plan. God always has a plan. It may take time. And you may not like how long it's going to take to accomplish the promise, but when God gives it, God don't lie. And I get to serve with a God that loves me that much, I'm good. Come what may, because my God is with me. Bring me what you got. God always has a plan, which leads us to the fifth section. Joshua's goodbye and challenge to Israel, chapters 23 and 24. 
Israel has now gone from being slaves to homeless to now they are the owners of 12 portions of the land and 12 tribes and millions of people are establishing themselves in the land. Joshua's around 110 years old at this point. He's been leading about 25 years after Moses' death. And then we see in Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 through 6, Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua was old and advanced in years that Joshua called for all of Israel. For their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers. And he said to them, I'm old, I'm advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. Some of you need to know God's fighting for you today. You're not doing this by yourself. God is fighting for you. Let's keep going though. See I have a portion to you, these nations, which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. Verse 5, the Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them, out, uh, drive them from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised you. Verse 6, be very firm then. Draw a line in the sand then. Make your declaration then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. He's going, God has never failed you. And everything that has been done has been done with God. He has fought for you. He has walked with you. And he continues talking to them. And he continues giving them this decree. Now behold today, I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. And all have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. He's going, listen to me. Everything God told you would happen, you've watched happen. You've seen it happen. You've seen it take place. He's, putting, he's put things in our hands, and this is his challenge. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. The remnants of their past was still haunting their present. And he was saying, you got to decide to serve the Lord. Now watch this. I love this. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. He goes, don't wait for tomorrow. Choose today. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here's what he is saying. He's telling them the same thing that I want to tell you today. It's time to make your choice. It's time to make your choice. We live in a world today, you got to make a choice. I have to make a choice. We all get a choice to make. And Joshua is going, you got to make your choice. And you can't wait for tomorrow. And you can't wait for the next day because you don't know if you've got those days. You have to decide today, where am I going to stand on these issues? Where am I going to stand in life? Where am I going to stand in society? Am I going to stand with everybody else's gods? Or am I going to stand with the God of the universe that has never failed me and never forsaken me and never left me alone? And I've seen him come through on every promise he told. Make your choice today. And I think across this nation and across this world, it's time to make our choice. And Joshua's looking at him and going, it's time to make your choice. But as for me, I've made mine. And you're not going to talk me out of it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And so today, for some of you, you've been riding the fence and you've been playing the game. And it's, I want to serve God, but I don't agree with God all the time. I want to serve God, but. I want to serve God if. I want to serve God when. And I'm just telling you, you got to make a choice. It's either God or it's not. And I'm, I'm not telling you which one to make because I can't and I won't. But I do believe we all have to make a choice for yourself, for your family, for the world, for future generations. Who are you going to serve? 
And when I mean serve, I don't mean who am I just going to show up on Sundays for. I mean who do I wake up for and who do I go to bed for? Who do I breathe for and who do I pray to? It's God and God alone. And Maybe you're in the room. And I thank you so much for giving me a little bit of extra time today. And you got to make a choice. And today you're going, I got to, the first thing, I've never even honestly made a declaration to tell Jesus that I want to give him my life and I need forgiveness. I know we had people in the first service that said, that is my next step. I'm making that choice because I got to. I want to encourage you, don't you walk out of here today thinking you got tomorrow to do it because we don't know. Make your choice. Whatever it is, make your choice. So if you would, just bow your heads with me in this moment. And if you're ready to go, you know what? Man, I'm for real. I'm making my choice. I'm giving my life to Jesus now. Right now. I, I, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to ask forgiveness. I'm going to walk with him from this point forward. If that's you, I just want you to pray this in your seat with me. Because God is ready to stop letting your past define you and that all things are going to be made new starting today. Father, I love you. Pray this with me. I give you my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to forgive me of anything that I was, am, and redeeming who I'm ever going to be. God, thank you for making room for me in the family of God. And from this day forward, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus as my Savior and God as my Father. Walk with me, guide me, and lead me as I walk with you. Now, with heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus today, can I ask you something? If you're online and you did that, there's going to be some specific instructions that are going to come on the screen. I ask that you do that so we can pray with you. But if you're in the room and you just prayed that prayer and you gave your life to Jesus today, it is one of the best decisions. It is the best decision you will ever make in your life. And you have decided, I've made my choice, and you prayed that. I just want to know who you are. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not pointing attention to you. But I do want to walk it out with you. And so if you would, just hold your hand up real high and just go right here, Pastor. I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. I made my choice. I gave him my life. And as you hold your hand up, keep it up, they're going to slide a clipboard in your hand today. And all they're going to say, all that thing does is it's a card. And we just want that. We just want you to fill that card out, drop it off at the prayer center or the connect center so we can pray with you and help you. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. And I pray that we would walk out of here and live it out and not just hear a sermon, but we would go out and get real hungry and get real passionate that we made our choice. Because as for us and our houses... We will serve the Lord. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.